I'm often observing before giving talks that I don't give many talks, but at some point I'm going to have to run out of that excuse, but I've never given a talk with two microphones. Just as a point of practice, it's, it's interesting for me to observe, I guess, the process uh, that precedes uh, offering some reflections on Dhamma um, and never in such a kind of formal way here. I've been on a Dhamma seat, I don't think, very often. And um, as with so much practice, as with so much of our lives, there is a kind of dedication of the, of the mind, uh, a, um, the kind of preeminence of, of the thinking process to wish to lead the way. And, um, and I try to resist that. <laughs> and um, and uh, it's made easy, I think, in a retreat, especially at the end of a retreat, because uh, we're now at the end of a retreat. Uh, uh, this offered me the opportunity to just keep letting the, the mind settle and uh, see what the heart began to say. And, uh, the heart speaks largely through silence, but uh, it offers um, a way into the meaning of things, into the meaning of the present. Mindfulness is, is an alertness, awareness, some sort of wise attention to the present moment. So in the end, I trusted to that, all of which means I didn't come prepared to give any particular talk. Today, although uh, not long ago, Jen Stewart uh, said, oh, um, it's been suggested uh, once or twice that Ajahn might have something to say about how to take the retreat into daily life. So that seems like a very good, uh, a very topical thing to, to speak about. <clears throat> Of course, the, the responses to that depend largely on, on where we begin, because we, we always begin where we are, don't we? And uh, each of you will have, a, have had a different experience of this retreat. You're bringing different dispositions, different character traits, memories, habits, attitudes into the retreat practice, naturally. Uh, you're, you're filtering the mindfulness of breathing, mindfulness of walking, your filtering Lumpur uh, Anand's uh, recommendations and suggestions through his Dhamma talks in your own different ways. Um, this is just, uh, these are natural human, human, this is our human predicament, our human condition. So uh, to respond to a question of, of, uh, of uh, how to take the retreat into daily life. Of course, this is going to depend on you. Uh, so ultimately, you'll be the arbiter of, of that, of that particular challenge, uh, beautiful predicament. To, to give ourselves to practice in this kind of way, um, and by the way, um, just 
you know, what do you think? What do you think? This statistically speaking, in the world, how many people do you think in the world of whatever it is now, eight billion or so? How many people do you think would be disposed to getting up at four in the morning, begin chanting and meditating at four thirty, um, eating one meal a day, sitting? you know, some long hours on fairly hard floors. How many people do you think would be willing and actually um, <laughs> give up their comfortable, somewhat comfortable daily lives in order to come to a different country to do it? I don't think so many. And um, this is one of the things to reflect on because it's uh, very easy for any of us, I think, to feel that we're not making progress, that we don't know how to go forward. Um, we see uh, our, our, uh, our habits return. We see our old mind states return with a vengeance. And we, we forget often to, to just give ourselves uh, some space by, by looking at things with some perspective. And in this case, um, it's worthy of attention that not many people um, have the kind of merit to bring them to such a place and uh, sit, even though we have a few fans uh, in whatever it is, 30, 35 degree heat uh, on a hard wooden floor and listen to a monk rambling, trying to gain some gradual coherence in these thoughts. So one of the one of the characteristics of returning to daily life is daily life returns to us. I mean, um, uh, all of those, some of those things, uh, characteristics of your life, of your experience, which you're used to, um, petty irritations, um, uh, little little arguments, little little issues you have of, with a family member or a work colleague. Um, frustrations you have in daily traffic, um, any number of things. These things will come back to you to some degree. So what do you do about that? Maybe you're returning to a life in which you had to set aside a few duties and now you return and, oh, uh, there are these things that I have to do. Or there's uh, work you very well know uh, was, was left intentionally but unavoidably undone at work and now you, you have a little bit more to uh, to attend to when you get home. Many things like this can, can crop up. Well, the first thing is that, that you've made uh, uh, mountains of merit by doing something unusually good with your lives, with your time. You come to morning and evening practice and afternoon practice. Every day you've listened to the Dhamma of, uh, of a well-practiced monk and hear her reflections from, from many other monks as well. You have encouraged one another. 
you have borne with frustrations and the, 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 the impact of having a body in this particular form. You've left your, to some degree, comfortable home life to live in a far more Spartan manner and endured that with seemingly quite good cheer, I would say. So my, my, um, my meal began with uh, this beautiful uh, occasion of, of your offering these robes and other requisites as you've been doing each meal. But these robes in particular, uh, just before the meal was, was uh, formally begun. And uh, I just had so much uh, mudita for this occasion, for each of you who are bringing whatever or simply rejoicing in the fact that a friend or family member uh, was able to, to, to bring a robe for, for this occasion. Seeing this line of, of uh, joyous, anticipatory faces, offering them to such a wonderful monk as Tanajan Anand. And it, um, just calling it to mind uh, brings up this sense of the, the, the moral beauty and significance of occasions like this that are so unique in human life. Um, the Buddha spoke in great praise of, of uh, supporting the Sangha and spoke about the, the meritorious kama and the results of, of such karma in one's life. Now we don't we don't see the operations of karma in a sense. We don't we don't you know we're we're not uh, looking into the software or watching the uh, the uh, algorithms work in the great comic machine of, of the universe. But and sometimes we may be um, therefore doubt that it has so much value. But if you remember what was going on in your heart, in your mind, when you were lining up this way or observing some dear friend or family member lining up and, and uh, be ready, being ready to offer this role, you'll recognize, I think, something of that, that beauty. And it's something that can return to you uh, simply by the wise use of memory, sanya, imagination, just bringing, bringing back, bringing uh, this scene back to life. It can sponsor uh, a great deal of joy in the midst of, of any life, I think. And then Lumpur Bunju came in, and I personally have only seen him once or twice at Mokopan gatherings. And um, my memory for names is not so good, uh, particularly when I need to know the name of someone. And um, so seeing Lumpur Bunshu here and seeing this just very simple, gracious, wise smile of this very elder monk who practiced with Lumpur Cha these long years ago. What I'm, what I'm bringing your attention to is something which um, we can work with, and something which I remember Tanajan once recommended to me. 
which is using the memory in a skillful way to bring to life again, to, 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 to bring our attention back to some meaningful moment when, when, when the merit of simply being alive and being willing to undertake these practices is, is fully present and engaged in and animated in, in life. I remember uh, um, asking about this once when after Achalu and I had been to India again, and, and um, Tanajan said to me, well, um, when you're back at Anandagiri, remember uh, some, some place in India where you were, and say in the Mahabodhi temple. There's a, those of you who've been there, uh, right at the Bodhi tree itself, right in the center of that sort of fenced enclosure, there is a little niche, a little, uh, a little recessed niche where people often go and just place their heads and perhaps offer some prayer, some dedication. And, you know, for me, that's one of the, it has to be one of the sweetest places in the, in the world that I've ever been to. So I, I'm sort of bringing it to mind now, just thinking of how many devotees have come and placed their head there and opened themselves to the Dhamma in gratitude and in appreciation and in inspiration. Millions, I guess. So he said, well, uh, call that to mind and then, and then bring it to mind when you're, say, at the Chedi at an Andakiri, or I don't think the Chedi existed at that time, but in other words, bring it into your daily life wherever that life is led, here and now. So it becomes, in other words, a resource for a practitioner, this act of memory, this uh, very precise act of, of, uh, of, uh, of memory. So, so I may, who knows, maybe in some Dhamma talk in the future, I will once again bring to mind the line of so many of you with your robes uh, being offered, you know, uh, being ready to offer to Tanajan and the Sangha here. Uh, that was, for me, a very precious moment, a kind of a little cap of, of the day, of this uh, last day of the retreat. That's maybe not something you'll do um, in the middle of the workday when you're at your in your cubicle, uh, sitting at your at your uh, laptop, or or sitting in traffic, perhaps there are uh, there are much less um, what exacting things that you can do, such as um, watching your breath. You know, when you're at a red light, uh, what is there to do? <laughs> uh, your impatience can never uh, impact the the speed with which that light changes. In fact, it may kind of there's a kind of elastic quality to time sometimes that uh, seems to seems to occur. Then. So just bring your mind back to your breath. What could what could what could go wrong? Or bring your attention to the feeling of your hand on the steering wheel. Something very. Remember the first foundation of mindfulness is the body. We've always got our bodies. 
And so much of our, our difficulty, so much of the complexity of the lives we lead or think we lead occurs because we complicate the moment with, with the, the stuff of thinking, of expectation, of remembering, of anticipation, of frustration, so on. If you're sitting in a stoplight and what your attention is, is brought to is the feeling of your hand on the wheel for a few moments while the light, until the light changes to green, what can be the harm? What's more, uh, when a habit uh, along these lines is developed, the feeling of the water as you're washing the dishes, um, that moment before you get out of bed, as you just recollect the feeling of the body, feeling of the abdomen perhaps, just getting a sense of that, spending what, an extra three seconds before you get up out of bed. The, the day is uh, in, in set in these terms, is populated with opportunity for mindfulness. It never, <laughs> it never leaves. It never leaves us, never grows old. And in this way, uh, mindfulness, if, if, it, if it is brought into some sort of habitual form, uh, it refreshes the experience of the day. Whether the day is at Wakmakchan or in Kuala Lumpur or Bangkok, it doesn't matter. It's, it's in our hands, it's in your hands. Now, many things, uh, social interactions, many things take place far too quickly, seemingly, for mindfulness to catch in the way we, we wish it would, we wish it could. So um, there's, uh, oh, we snap a response to someone out of irritation because they've asked us to do something and we didn't want to do it, or um, they've, they've been unreasonable with us. Uh, so we become snappy. We see something maybe a little bit unkind, or just we walk away without saying anything, but it's obviously uh, meant to be an affront of some kind. And mindfulness in such occasions is, is likely not quick enough, is not strong enough to be present and, and stop that, to offer uh, that wholesome restraint that we, we would love to be able to experience. But we then have the opportunity to sit with that. Once again, what do we do? Well, you can bring your attention down when there's next, uh, when you're back at your cubicle or once again in your car or whatever, but just a moment. Bringing the attention back to the breath, just, just one, one or two deep breaths, observing that, being present with the frustration yeah, with that sense of irritation, noticing it. Because there's a sense in which nothing can withstand our attention when it is honest and, and modest and clear. We're not trying to get, it, get rid of it. We're not trying to deny it. We're not trying to, to, to force it out of the mind in that moment. We're simply being honest with what it presently is. And when that occurs, uh, frustrations of this kind often begin to, we begin to see the, the cracking, dissembling, 
dismantling, I should say, falling away. Well, daily life uh, doesn't always offer these little spaces, maybe, we think, okay, that um, we have our, our life back at home. We've got the time in traffic when we're sitting at stoplights, maybe. As busy as any day is, we've got a couple of times, I suggest, when, when we have space, when we've got some degree of calm. And that's usually at the very beginning and the very end of the day. Um, I think Tanajan has, has recommended uh, giving attention to meditation in the morning and in the evening. The morning is a beautiful way to set up the day because um, it establishes a sense of peace, tranquility, and uh, even if the meditation on that particular day does not really seem to lead to any real peace, there is nonetheless the, the, the reiteration of, of this habit, the, the strengthening of this habit. Ah, beginning of my day, I've gotten up whenever half an hour earlier than I would have, splashed water in my face, sat down just for 20 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes, and established some sense of ease, maybe generated some metta. And this will change the character of much of the day. At the end of the day, um, there, there ought to be time for this as well. And uh, because you've been at this retreat, you'll know um, more acutely the importance of regular practice because it's been required of us all. But even if a day were to be so long and grueling that, uh, that it didn't seem to allow for us another half an hour at the end of it to, to sit quietly somewhere, at some point you're going to be in bed, lying on your back, and um, to fall asleep requires some comfort, some ease, some quiet. So there you are, what to do, what to do. There's a good opportunity just to bring your attention to your breath again. Maybe restore a sense of metta. Remind yourself of the value of, of, of a loving heart. You'll sleep better and uh, make it more natural, perhaps, more easy to get up and, and want to, to sit uh, again before the day begins again. What else to do? Well, here's a, here's a practical. I brought this not to read from it, but um, not everybody uh, maybe is inclined to this sort of thing, but if you're all a kind of wordy fellow, lady. Um, you know, I have, uh, I've enjoyed, I think many of you probably too have enjoyed reading through sutta literature or uh, the Dhamma talks, uh, transcribed Dhamma talks of many, many great teachers. And uh, you'll encounter a passage that's of particular interest that sort of strikes you in a particularly uh, relevant and pertinent manner. Um, Get yourself a little book like this, write it down. Well, Dhamma passages are, 
everybody knows if you're if you've at all acquainted with Buddhist teachings, you'll know it's a it's a tradition in some extent uh, to some extent of of lists. So um, remind yourself of some of the lists, and um, you'll find one or two of them become favorites. You probably don't need to know them all. I remember uh, I think Tanajan uh, Dun said, uh, "Oh." Our hands don't need to know much. Really, you just need to penetrate the five khandhas and dependent origination. A couple of short lists. Uh, there's a little bit more than learning a list uh, to penetrating it, but nevertheless, it, it's very helpful to know the list. Um, this might sound a little, little silly anyway, but. Uh, uh, you know, you've all got fridges, I expect, and you can get a fridge magnet, no doubt, for a fairly low cost. Write down your favorite list and put it on the fridge. You pass it every day, five or six or 20 times a day, and your attention is drawn to something, something of Dhamma, something. These lists, by the way, have a kind of, they, I, I feel at least, they have a kind of energy uh, to them. Uh, for someone who has just thought about contemplating one of these lists, the, uh, the seven factors of awakening, for instance, the four noble truths, why not? Three characteristics of existence. But just seeing those words in those particular orders, uh, for me, has, has generated a, a, a... has become a source of reflection often, which I found very valuable. Very often you may find you may find yourself reflecting on the possibility that the order of the words, the order of these particular factors, has itself a kind of generative quality. One thing perhaps leads to another. You can find these things out for yourself. But uh, it, it maybe sounds a little pedantic, but uh, I, would, I would recommend this, at least for some of you with this, that uh, have this kind of mind. But, but by all means, uh, you know, avail yourself of some little book like this, easy to carry around, and uh, got a few poems in there, lots of lists, lots of beautiful Dhamma quotations. And uh, I can pick it out, I can pick it up at any time and just remind myself of something, bring some freshness, freshness into the moment by, by reflecting in a very directed manner uh, on the words of the Buddha himself or some great teacher, and therefore bringing, bringing a kind of lens of clarity to any given moment. And then you'll find perhaps that, that you keep drawn, being drawn back to one or two of the passages that you enjoy. Why, why do I enjoy this particular one? Oh, maybe it's cultivating or insisting that I, that I reflect in, in a particular way. So um, this is just a possibility for any of, any of us returning to our normal lives. There's, there's something I, I've touched upon and which 
don't, I don't know if I can elaborate, elaborate on any further, but um, because I don't think, obviously we don't, we simply don't have a wise enough, a deep enough, a broad enough view of the human condition and our own condition. We're, we're born into these lives with our eyes shut in a way. We don't, by far the most of us don't know what brought us into this particular life, what particular lives we've, we've had in the past and uh, what kinds of things we really need to learn most, foremost, what kinds of obstacles we're, we're likely to encounter going to the, the great comic machine that we abide in. So we don't, we don't, on the one hand, we don't have uh, um, any clear way of, of, of assessing this life and, and uh, countering the kind of inner tyrant that most of us have at some point, at least. Uh, you know, the old parental voice or the the voice of the critic, um, my, my abbot at Tisarn, I know he used to always call the inner tyrant, that, that critical voice, uh, never, never quite good enough, not doing enough, not, not, first of all, when you're a kid, you're not big enough, you're not smart enough, and then you're not trying hard enough because you're too lazy. And, you know, there are all, all kinds of voices of this kind. You're not pretty enough, you're not handsome or strong enough, you're not, whatever it is. Now, we, we, uh, as we mature, these voices also mature. Um, we're, we're, uh, we need to do better in university, perhaps, or we need to get a better job, or um, we didn't get that contract, or whatever. We're not in a, in a nice enough house, or some on and on and on. So these, uh, I'm sure most people have recognized these things from time to time, at least, these, these kinds of uh, voices in, in practice. And they, it's not rocket science to say they do us no particular good. Yeah. So we, uh, you might say we dispel them through the cultivation of meritorious states of mind, beautiful states of mind by growing in loving kindness, by cultivating it with, with some earnestness of intent. We dispel them and, and come to understand them through, through reflection in various ways. And sometimes um, maybe we put them in some kind of perspective by, by again recognizing the rarity uh, of any human life that is led in such a way that we are encouraged to, well, for monastics here, to, to ordain, to, to, we're led, some of us who are not Thai, we're led to a foreign culture to ordain uh, under a monk whose language we don't understand, whatever it is. But all the rest of you too, uh, who have uh, given so much of your of your daily time, energies, uh, your wealth, because of your generosity, to come here, 
the rarity of this, I expect uh, it would take a kind of poet or, or some sort of um, celestial statistician to, to really to, to give a, a fine enough account of, of how rare these things are in human life and in the life of samsara. And so uh, to, to account for the preciousness of these, these kinds of practices and the kind of intentions the intentions that lead you to these practices. There is a tr tremendous rarity to this, I would suggest. And that rarity is, uh, comes in the form of, of beauty, spiritual beauty. It's something to take note of and, and uh, to respect, uh, to appreciate, to rejoice in coming to this great word, mudita. I think, I think I have come to the end of, end of this for now. I'm happy to respond to, to the questions you might have, and I'll end with my best wishes. Anyone has any question? Well, you're thinking of a question. Here's a, here's a quotation for you. This is from Umpur Suchito, an English monk. And I believe I took this from his, uh, boy, he wrote this in the early 80s. He was, um, he wrote out in his, his own inimitable calligraphy the, um, the uh, Namachaka Pavatana Sutta. And in his introductions, he, he said this, which I've always simply loved. What sustains the spiritual life is that it becomes independent of one's volition. It has a life of its own that comes to recognize and serve. One of the reasons I like this so much is that um, so much, at least of my own practice, and I think of many of our practices, you might agree or not, but um, is in meditation, learning how to get out of the way, you know, just absent that, that sense of self and simply see what's, what's happening in the moment through awareness. And, um, over time, something something develops. There, there being a a sense that there's there's more to this of this life than my willing and wanting. Something is there is an agency at work. It, has, it takes on a character, a flavor, and a, and a kind of power, and it's directed in a particular way. As as we as we know, um, the noble eightfold path 
You just have to stay on it, you might say, and it only leads in one direction. So the, the agency of the path, the agency of our good intentions takes on a kind of character which is, which is sustaining and, and, and lightening in the final, final analysis. Was there, do you have a question? Thank you, Achan, for the talk. And uh, <clears throat> um, during the past few days, uh, sitting meditation, um, I find it very rewarding in terms of um, getting my mind settled and able to observe and see things flow, um, something raise and fall. And, I understand that these kind of experience. Um, Maybe you need to speak up. I think I think in the back they can't hear you. Please. Sorry. Can I repeat again? Then sure. Okay. Um, in the past few days, um, meditation. Um, I have a very good um, sitting experience, having been able to watch and then see my mind raise and fall, passing by, it's it just a fantastic experience. But knowing this, um, I can't expect this for every sitting. <laughs> and then I, I do away with uh, some tricks. <laughs> um, I find something it's manageable if I want to have not the same experience, but a good start with the sitting. For example, getting a good routine, um, getting enough rest, and not eating too much, and doing more work sometime if I feel drowsiness. Now, my um, question is back to the workplace in the normal life. Yep. Um, is that um advisable or is a good way to carry on the practice for example if i want to do a sitting and cut down the workload on the day the distractions and try to do some preparation make the sitting more manageable Uh, if you just repeat that last section, so uh, you have a you have a suggestion that you're wondering if it's going to work, and that's the question, and I need to have that again, please. Um, when go back to the workplace in a normal life, it's difficult to expect something. We have it here during the retreat, but I'm just thinking of whether we can manage it. Um, in the ways that uh, every time we start the sitting, we have a good preparation. Um, for example, on that day, if it's a moon day, observant day, sitting, uh, cut down the workload, 
and be mindful um, on what doing on the day before I go to the meditation. You know, anything, any any way of inserting some sort of skill into the daily life is going to is going to be helpful, because in, in part what you're doing there is adding mindfulness. You're bringing your own intelligence, inquiry, and mindfulness into the question, not of how to get this workflow done, but the question of how to, to some degree, keep a sense of this, uh, my practice, my mindfulness, rest restores uh, fresh in the middle of, of life. Um, so anything like, anything like that can help. You, you did touch earlier on, though, uh, the sense of expectation, and yeah, that's, that's what we want to. That's what we want to avoid having. Us, if I do this, is I should be able to get this. Yeah, there should be a result. I should be able to find the result. Just, just try it out and see what's skillful. See what works. Um, for, I mean, if you're say if you're self-employed, then then doing something along the lines of the uh, the moon, the moon observance days might work. Other people might just find, well, I can't, you know, if a, if a full moon is on a Wednesday, it's kind of difficult. But maybe, maybe there's a, a time every Sunday or Saturday afternoon you can, you can really devote to practice, for instance. But um, uh, here's another little trick I had years ago. Um, this is when I was an early young, young, I was never that young as a monk, but I mean, I was a... <laughs> Uh, but um, so we were we were being a lot of work. Uh, my first monastery, we did a, we did a lot of work uh, all the time, and uh, most of the time. And uh, and I started finding frustration with the way things were happening and irritation developing. I, you know, the, the sequence of events was didn't make sense. Or just as you're starting to get doing this, you're told to do something else. Whatever, yeah, you know? just regular human stuff. And what I did was someone had given me a little timer, and I think actually Lumpur made mention of this. I don't remember the actual context, but they gave me a little timer. You could set it at any number of minutes. I chose an arbitrary number, 27 minutes, I think was my arbitrary number. And um, all I decided to do, and it, it gave me a little buzz, it actually vibrated on my belt. And all I needed to do was whenever it buzzed, I told myself, you're not in charge. You're not in charge. You know, it's not your call. This worked, I, that, that was uh, set to the particular context because I had an abbot and he was telling us what to do and what needed to be done and go here, go there and so forth. So it just, you know, this isn't your call, buddy. You know, you're not in charge. Now, uh, that little reminder could be obviously tailored exactly to your, to your needs. Uh, where is my mind? You know, or, Where's my breath? Where's my breath? Or, you know, uh, uh, where are my feet? You know, where are my hands? Or whatever it takes. Remembering the body is such a precious, <laughs> we begin here, yeah, in our, our practice. In, in many important ways, we begin with the body, I think. So just, just uh, tailor it to your own, your own particular uh, circumstance. Ah, where, where am I now? You know? What is this? What is this? Where's my breath? Where's my, where's my abdomen? Where's my, where's my nose? You know, just something tailored to your particular way of practice. So get yourself a little timer, a little buzzer. But, um, um, 
sometimes having a um, good experience after the meditation, it just encourages you to do the next. So it's quite difficult, not expecting, but you're automatically clinging to what you have before. Try to carry forward and doing um, more. <laughs> yeah, reality, reality will will finally convince you otherwise. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, you know um, what can you say? Humility, for instance. Uh, just if, if there's some way that you can just uh, again, I'm not in charge. This isn't actually my practice. It's, it's uh, I put the conditions together and it unfolds in a way which which the complexity, the richness of life at this time provides. I, I, you know, I'm not in control. That is the little me, the little thinking mind isn't really in control here. I have my precious little desires and ambitions and all the rest of it, but they, they don't really speak to the matter at hand, which is reality writ large. That's, that's, that's what, so uh, uh, some kind of language maybe around that fact. Uh, I'm beginning, you know, this old, uh, at least in the West, this is a very famous book by Shunryu Suzuki, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. So, so finding some way of beginning every practice with this beginner's mind. You know, the fact that I almost think I was almost getting enlightened uh, last retreat, it has no particular bearing on my sitting right now in my living room. It's just a brand new day, yeah. But the, I mean, I think anyone here can appreciate the, that particular question and the kind of predicament it seems to bring to us because we all sit with desire. It's, uh, it's the nature of the human condition, isn't it? Yeah. And it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be a teacher because it will, you'll be thwarted again and again and again. <laughs> Finally, you'll figure it out. Yeah, it takes, it takes time, but some humility um, is helpful, I think. There are things at work here that are, are far greater than our, our willing and wanting. Okay, hello. Okay. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> I can, yes. All right, first, thank you for the talk. It was very inspiring. Um, then I have a question about ordaining. So I progressed quite a bit on the path, and this is not a question if I will ordain, but when. And now the thing is, I'm also not the youngest. I have a lot of attachments, and I don't want to hurt anybody. So perhaps you can elaborate a bit on how to do that in the best way. Yeah. Well, you know, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you you know we we can't control the the responses of others because they'll have their particular. We you probably are are old enough now to know that you you got your attachments and that um, they come at a cost and that they are not always predictable and so forth. Well, everyone you know is is in the same predicament. Yeah, so uh, we can't really predict. Um, how our, if, if you go through this, how our um, expression of intention to leave uh, will, will go, go down with people. Um, what we can do is our best. The good thing, unfortunately, it, it's also your best will get better, but, but you can only do your best now. And um, uh, enter into these these maybe these forms of leave taking with 
a good heart and uh, trying to find the right time and place and um, be as simple as you can and, and uh, try to be humble in the face of sometimes resistance and anger and whatnot. Hard, hard to know what comes of this. Um, and some of them may come around in the end and see people that really love us, I think, often begin to see uh, the effect it has on us and then appreciate maybe the courage it takes and uh, the dedication it requires. And some people, uh, it will stimulate something in them which is difficult to manage in this lifetime, perhaps. And uh, so we we gain friends and we lose friends in life. That's that's just one of those things. So it's a it's a crossroads of, for, of sorts. And uh, but uh, you can't control it. Uh, you can only do your very best and um, meditate on things, generate loving kindness, be as skillful as you can with your speech. Don't try to explain yourself too much because you can't. You don't know enough yet. You know about. Uh, uh, quite often, we're we're stimulated by by um, intimations that we're not fully cognizant of. We're not really aware of, of what's leading us to this intention necessarily. Why not? And we certainly don't know what the outcome is going to be. I don't know if you're married or if you've ever you've known married people. And um, you know, uh, becoming married is uh, is a fairly sizable. It's, a, it's an adult portion, as I remember hearing it described once. It's, um, and no one who is about to embark on marriage really understands what's going to come of it. The difference, though, is that they see married people at every turn, the parents and every, you know, people all over society have not been married and then they got married and then something comes of it and it looks sort of like this. And so we have models, but if you don't come from Thai culture, say, uh, we don't have many models for, for uh, renunciate at life, so we don't really know what's going to come of it. We don't even have much of a, a sense of what might come from come of it. So it's a very noble intention, um, and it uh, perhaps comes from some very deep part of your being, and uh, a part that you likely don't fully understand, and that's normal and okay. And uh, Pavarou, we have a question from the online uh, retreatant. Hi, Ajahn Pavarou. May Hi. I know if clinging to the pocket sutta to bring along wherever we go out is considered as a ritual form of practice, just like some Buddhist tradition where they wear Buddhist beads? Thank you for your guidance here, Ajahn. Happy to see you for the first time today, Mahasadhu. Jesse, I didn't hear the first, uh, first part of that question, please. May I know if clinging to the pocket sutta to bring along wherever we go? Oh, you mean this? Yes. Oh, oh, I don't cling to it. <laughs> it's considered a form of ritual. <laughs> Uh, it could be, sure it could be, anything can be. Uh, you know, we have names for these things, obsessive compulsion and all of this. I mean, we have all kinds of fancy psychological language. Um, uh, you know, the number of steps on your walking path. I mean, we can, we can make a ritual of anything. Yeah, uh, it depends how you hold it, that's all. 
and half the time I don't hold it. But I, I just kind of love this thing, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, um, anything which is clung to in the matter of practice can become a kind of ritual, can be kind of ritualized. And a ritual, I mean, we, we chant uh, morning and evening, you know, uh, pujas every day. And we, we have many rituals, by the way, in Buddhism, don't we? So it's a matter of what we, how it is that we hold these things. Um, I could, but maybe I won't talk about Confucius now. That might not be appropriate. Just to say, though, that, that there are... There are rituals in, in human life, and the, the, the fact that we call it a ritual doesn't mean that it's unskillful. It's how we practice with it, what we do with it, what we expect from it. We have forms of greetings. In some cultures, there's this handshake, and so on and on and on. Now, if we expect something from that handshake, and if someone refuses or forgets to shake our hand, and then we take something from this and cannot let go of that because they've, they've uh, broken some social contract or it means something about what they think about us or something, we're, we're holding that in the wrong way. It might have just been an act of inattention on, on the other person's part. Uh, um, but but the nature of human life is that it, that it that there are regular there are, there are regularities to it, and if we use these regularities in mindful, skillful ways, it's very good. That's why getting up at a certain time in the morning is a good thing. Is that a ritual? Well, it's up to you. It's up to how you hold it, but, but getting up at a certain time in the morning, deciding and then meditating for 35 minutes or 27 minutes or whatever it is in the morning, that can be a very good thing, it usually is, but it can be a ritual, I suppose. So you need, I mean, a practitioner needs to begin to suss this out, to recognize what it is that might make of something a, 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 an unskillful ritual. It's a very interesting question, but no, I don't think my little black book is ritualized in any way. I just kind of love it, that's all. Ajahn Pavaro, would you, is it all right to, to take one more question? Oh, yeah, sure. By the way, the book, it doesn't even have to be black. <laughs> just so... Just thinking uh, out loud, does this ritual lead to attachment or clinging? Because we do it every time, no? Then does it lead to uh, just seek your opinion on that? Thank you. Well, many, many of you in here are parents, I, I imagine, right? Had little kids. And. Um, you, you tell me, you tell me. Um, some days you have your dinner at, you know, your evening meal. I'm assuming most of you have an evening meal or something. So some of you, you'll have it at 4.30 in the afternoon. Sometimes it's 9.30 at night, 10 after seven or whatever. And the kids are supposed to come to that meal at various times. 
um, what would that do to their sense of the family, family life? Or would it be good for the digestion? Would it be good for your digestion? Uh, your the routine of your day. It's just human. We are we are we are uh, uh, patterned creatures. We take an in breath. We take an out breath. We get up, we take one step, and then we follow with the other step. There are these, there are these patterns to our experience which are just indelible, part of human life. So we respond to regularity in this kind of way. It's a very good training for the mind. You can ask yourself, well, tomorrow I'll, I'll get up at 3.30 and meditate for an hour. And the day after that, I'll get up at quarter after five and meditate for 12 minutes. And then, you know, you can set a whole list of things like that, see how long it would last. And, and what, what would happen to you? You wake up in the morning, do I meditate? No, no, I have to wait until, you know, quarter after seven or something, or no, I'm meditating what time? Tomorrow I'm meditating at 10.30. And then for, for what was it now, an hour and a half? And then, no, we, we respond, the mind responds to wholesome regularity. This is just the intelligent use of our energy. Now, as I, as I said earlier, you can make of anything which is regular a ritual. And if you've ever read about um, obsessive compulsive disorder, for instance, and you know the folding of socks and, and the turning off, uh, turning off the turning on and off the, the water tap or whatever it is, and uh, to to actually hear a, a fulsome description of what a mind is doing when they're in the midst of folding their socks and putting them in the drawer and then taking them out again and refolding them and putting them back in the drawer five or ten or twenty times literally sometimes uh, that's that's the ritualization of behavior which is is uh, doesn't serve the person in fact it it inflicts on them uh, a great deal of, of suffering and confusion so we're, we're simply trying to regularize certain aspects of human life our, of our lives which are wholesome in this case you've come to a retreat and you've you've, you've conducted you've, you've uh, engaged in morning and evening practice afternoon practice you've done some walking practice some of these things might really appeal to you so the suggestion is simply to uh, begin to insert these or you know, continue to insert these into your normal life. Now, if you miss a day uh, and, and then you're beating yourself up for three days in which you're also not meditating because you're still beating yourself up about it, then you might, you might ask, how am I holding this pattern? This, this pattern, maybe I'm holding it in the wrong way. But to establish a pattern like this is very wholesome for the mind. Because the mind needs, just like that child, I think, is going to respond, not just mentally and emotionally, but, oh, my mother and my father care for me. It's 6.30 and here we are eating again. It's also good for the digestion, for their growth. Yeah? Something about the nature of, of family life, of individual life, of, of any life. Uh, is going to is going to respond to this, but if we hold it in in an unwise way, it can become ritualized and uh, quite unwholesome and actually even pathological. But this is this is up to how we're we're dealing with these things.
Another question, JC, he's got a smile again. <laughs> yes, the question to keep coming in. So maybe you would take the last question. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, dear Ajahn, which monks do you find inspirational and why? <laughs> How long do we have? Which, which monk? <laughs> As if there's one. Well, let me, let me end the way I was going to begin today. And so far as I planned this talk, I was going to, I was going to say something about uh, being here as a visiting monk, participating in this retreat, and just how impressed I've been. I've, I mentioned it to a couple of the, the residents here with whom I can <laughs> converse in English, but just um, how appreciative I am just personally for the care that they had, the time to give me. But, but more to that, uh, the energy, the, the, the intelligence and the care that they've taken to arrange the retreat as they have. I'm thinking of, well, any number of them. Uh, the translators are, are wonderful translators. Uh, the technical people who, you know, kind of manage things, and not just monks, of course. We've got, we've got the, the, uh, the replaceable JST there. Uh, but uh, all of these things, uh, and things that I'm not even aware of, I had nothing to do with the planning, and, and I am unaware of uh, what goes into this, you know, place like this. But I was remarking by email with some friends, you know, it's 70 people and, and they just fold into a place of this size. You don't even notice it. Uh, it's, it's very skillful. Obviously, it's a large institution, but it's, it's also very, very skillfully uh, managed uh, with such care. And I, I mean, I, I'm very, very appreciative and mindful of, of, of that. So, you know, uh, I, I've known Mapura Nan for a number of years. Known, I have been in his presence. I've listened to him. I don't speak Thai more than you know a few words, and uh, but I'm I've just always been deeply inspired by his presence, uh, his warmth, his wisdom, and just thinking about the Dhamma talks that I've heard translated, um, the breadth of his examples uh, from the Buddha's life, from the life of disciples, various lists, um, um, uh, his, his understanding of lay life and various predicaments. He's basically his understanding of the human condition. And he, day after day, he just brings all these elements into, into, into a kind of constellation of meaning, which I think, I imagine all of you would agree is, uh, is unusual, very precious, and, and uh, very beautiful in its own way. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm very, I feel very privileged as a monk just to be able to, to, uh, to be around such a person, such a human being. Um, sometimes, in you know, a little bit. Uh, in a little bit more private circumstances into into intuit something of um, the depth of his understanding and his uh, his his uh, deep um, selflessness just um, you know, such a beauty in his warmth and uh, 
I have been around a, a few months like this, but I, Tanajan for me is, is a, is a well-practiced monk that I've seen probably more than um, several other monks I can think of. And so he's, he's, uh, he's special in, in, to me. But I've had just some, so many wonderful teachers, my Upachaya and Papasano. Um, and uh, of course, I've been around the Porsamedo many times. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, just, it's just a grand thing to, to have these kinds of people to some degree in our lives, even on the periphery. I'm, I'm sure you all feel this too, just when you're in the presence to see to see Nupuranan uh, today uh, coming and perhapping Nupunchu uh, and, and uh, the sweetness of that old relationship and all his funny uh, stories. So. Um, so full of kindness and and uh, and, and good humor and uh, so 